You're watching the CFF Sites Week 4 College Fantasy Football Show. I'm your host, Joe DeSalvo, the voice of the CFF Site. And what we're going to get into this week, going to do a little different format. Instead of going game by game, we're still going to cover conferences. We're going to talk about some of the hot-pressing topics in each conference. That way we can kind of condense the show a little bit. I feel like we were getting a little long going an hour plus, and now that I feel like we have a better idea of what's going on with some of the teams identifying trends, we've got a good sample size of data coming in. I feel like we can really concentrate our efforts on a few matchups, a few players in each conference and go from there. But I also want to address a couple of things now is that, yeah, we do have a nice sample size of data as well. And the one thing that I noticed in this week's projections and rankings is that we're starting to see now where uh, we've got a sample size coming in and some of the names at the top of the list, some of the names at the top of the projections aren't the names we particularly thought we would see four weeks into the season. You know, it's not the the Trevion Hendersons that are landing at the top of the, the list now. Obviously, injuries and being banged up take, you know, its toll and will affect the rankings. But, you know, just just, you know, now that the season started, we're we're three weeks in, three games in for a lot of teams, and we're starting to see some trends. We're starting to get a good sample size of data coming in, and we're really starting to see how that affects now the weekly projections as they come out and get uploaded onto the site. But the one thing that I do want to touch on is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and I see it in Discord a lot coming in and some of the emails coming in, some of the questions about, you know, should I should I hold the guy? Should Is it time to move on? Or I've moved on from this guy. And, you know, the interesting thing for me is that I've been playing college fantasy football for so long. What we're seeing now is a little bit of evolution in the rotation, particularly early in the season throughout the country at every FBS program, particularly some of the higher profile, some of the power five conferences. And, and this is what I mean by that, right? I think what's because of the transfer or due to the, the transfer rule right now, if you don't get guys in the game right away, there's an itch that they need to scratch and they may bolt from the team. They may bolt from the program enter the transfer portal. They've got the one-time transfer where they don't have to sit out. So, I think what that's caused is that I feel a lot of coaches feel the pressure or feel the need to get guys in the game, particularly early on in the year during the non-conference slate, so they can give playing time to some of these younger guys or some of the guys that that are, you know, the running back twos, running back threes, even the wide receiver depth chart, right? Because, uh, you know, down on the, the wide receivers down farther on the depth chart, because you know, let's use Oklahoma State, for example, with Dominic Richardson in that week two matchup against Arizona State. You know, he got 20 plus carries in that game. But then, you know, they played Central. Um, they played Central Michigan in the opener. They had another cupcake matchup in week three. You know, same thing with Jarrell Brock getting used exclusively in that matchup against Iowa. But then, you know, he, you know, the we saw running back rotation throughout Iowa State in their other two games so far. And so where it used to be, you needed to survive the non-conference slate if you had some of the group of five players, particularly MAC players, some of the, you know, Sunbelt Conference players, Conference USA, you just wanted to survive 
that non-conference part of the schedule and get into MAC play where those players have a chance to blow up. Well, now I think that that we're we're seeing that in the Power Five programs for college fantasy football right now, where I think we need to survive the non-conference slate because it seems like we're getting more rotation week in and week out, particularly if the matchups are very favorable for a program and it allows coaches to get guys into the game. You know, it used to be coaches could sit on those, you know, four games or, you know, it used to be where coaches can sit on a player and they didn't have to play them. Player could red shirt. uh, But if they played X amount of snaps, then they were done. Then we went to where it was the four game rule. And then, you know, they, as long as they didn't play more than four games or it was four games, they could transfer out and coaches would kind of give them some snaps in those easy blow, you know, those easy games or the blowouts. And now we're getting to the point where it doesn't really matter if they play X amount of snaps, they could transfer, right. Without having to sit out a year regardless. Right. So I think what's happening is I think the coaches feel that they, there's guys that, that there's a pecking order in these programs. They don't want players to leave, and they I think there's a need to get or or if they, you know they feel a need to get these guys into the game early to give them a taste so they don't go anywhere. They hang around the program. At least that's my thought. That's my observation. It seems like that's the evolution over the last five, ten years, and I think we're going to see more of that moving forward. And I think that makes it challenging for us for college fantasy football, particularly in the beginning of the year where we want to draft studs, uh, but sometimes based on the schedule. What I'm noticing, it's not really in the Bijan Robinsons of the world, right? It's happening in those guys that's more those tier two running backs where we feel they're going to be the exclusive running back one um, or the clear cut running back one. But the the so far, what we've seen, we don't have a lot of um, certainty that that's the case. Like we feel based on the way Jarrell Brock was was used against Iowa, he seems like the clear-cut running back one, but then you take the other two matchups, there's a question mark. And that creates problems for fantasy owners, right? Because you've got guys that like, hey, I started Dominic Richardson in week one. I didn't start him in week two when he went off against Arizona State. And then I didn't start I wanted to start him in week three, and then they played another easy game, and he didn't particularly do, you know, he didn't go off like he did the week before. And so... I feel some fantasy owners feel trapped of do I or don't I. And I think now with the Power 5 programs, I think we're going to get the clarity a little late in the year. You know, I talked about this in some of the preseason shows and some of the weekly shows leading up to this point that it was going to take a few weeks for some of these position battles to to play out. I I, I wasn't really envisioning the scenario of of trying to get guys in when I thought of that, but it seems like that that's happening in more places than we originally thought. And I think that's, what's going to happen now as we move into conference play, we'll see a little bit more clarity, but unfortunately for many of you fantasy owners, it's been a lot of boom or bust hit or miss throughout the first three weeks of the schedule. And where the problem is, is that now some of you all are going into week four with a cloud of uncertainty over your lineup, whereas in years past, that cloud of uncertainty was in weeks one, weeks two. We're now getting that cloud of uncertainty in week three and week four now, and I'm hoping now as we come out of the non-conference part of the FBS schedule, where now conference games start to really take over the matchups, we're going to see a lot more clarity in the pecking order, and we're going to talk about that 
uh, as we go through uh, the show this week. But that was one observation that I've had through the first couple of weeks of this season compared to seasons past and how I see things shaking out a little differently or playing out a little differently so far in the 2022 season compared to some of the seasons in the past, particularly those, you know, three, five years ago. Quick update on the 4-1 and Super Fantasy League. There will be no update on this show tonight. You know, unfortunately for me, Fantrax has had some glitches. It's really caused a little bit of a headache. I've got to do some catch-up on that. The thought is, let's get this podcast up. Mike's going to finish up his DFS write-ups as well, and I'm going to dig in to try to figure out what's going on with some of the uh, the Fantrax system and why it's sort of purging some guys at lineup time. I've got to get in there and do that. So it's going to, if you guys... Listening to the show, playing the four and one. You see any questions come in throughout the Discord? Uh, I'm I'm busy. I'm trying to get caught up on everything as far as weekly content. When I created these leagues, I didn't think I'd be doing admin work on it, so it's going to take me a little bit of time. But remember, there's so many leagues incorporated in the format that whether or not the brackets get updated don't necessarily shouldn't necessarily affect your lineup. You're still trying to build a great lineup each and every week to try to get those total points accumulated. So no update there. I'm hoping to have everything updated before the games on Saturday probably won't happen on Thursday and it'll be close to getting it done Friday, but I should play catch up right there. So with that being said, let's get into this week's games and we're going to do it a little different. We're going to go conference by conference. I'm going to go, I'm going to do the power five conferences first and we're going to go conference by conference. And I'm just going to sort of highlight what I think are the pressing topics, um, the biggest topics within each conference in regards to matchups, right? So when we're looking at the ACC, I think the thing that sticks out to me first and foremost when we're going through just chronological order of matchups is Brennan Armstrong, quarterback Virginia, right? Over the last couple of games, two games, you know, he had, let's, let's be honest, he had a good opener, right? And there were some concerns about whether or not the new system was going to affect his numbers. And then all of a sudden, after the solid opener against Richmond, the last two games, he's passed for 464 yards. He's rushed for 45, but he hasn't accounted for a touchdown, not one touchdown in two games. And so now you've got Brennan Armstrong going into this, this matchup at Syracuse with a lot of fantasy owners questioning one, whether or not they should start him, or two, should they hold on to him? And I'd say, here's what I would do if I had Brendan Armstrong. And obviously, a lot of this, a lot of these decisions go into how deep is your league, too. Because the one thing that I have to, the one thing that I like to ask when I get these weekly lineup questions is, you know, Joe, should I start Brendan Armstrong this week against Syracuse? My immediate question is, well, who's your option B? Who's your second option, right? And I think that will tell a lot, you know, check the reference, the projections, reference, the rankings that will first and foremost, probably give you what my answer is going to be. If you should start a guy like Brennan Armstrong, but you have to weigh your options. But for me right now, I think Brennan Armstrong is a hold. I don't particularly expect him to do. I don't expect him to do particularly well against Syracuse this weekend, but you still have matchups with Duke Louisville and Georgia Tech in the next three. So if Brennan Armstrong shows life in this matchup against Syracuse, I feel the three following matchups make him playable. The problem we may have is consistency, and that's 
where a lot of fantasy owners are going to get bitten. And that's the, you know, that's where the fear of starting Brennan, Ar- Brennan Armstrong comes in. And that's why this week I say you have to weigh your options because I don't particularly feel strong after his last two outings about starting him this week on the road at Syracuse. The next one I want to get into is the Wake Forest Wake Forest Clemson game, right? Where I think you have to, you know, depending on your depth again, I think quarterback Sam Hartman, wide receiver A.T. Perry, I think you've got to start those guys. Will Shipley on the Clemson side, right? I mean, he's got a string of touchdowns going. I think you've got to get him in the game as well. And so those, I think, you know, you know, when you look at that matchup, even though Wake Forest may not throw up 400 passing yards and 30-plus points, I still feel A.T. Perry's got to be in your lineup. I still feel Will Shipley's got to be in there as well, right? And, you know, it's debatable whether you are going to, you know, include and start a guy like Sam Hartman. Again, you're weighing your options. Rhode Island playing at Pitt, and really this is about Pitt running back C.J. Donaldson, who's just been an absolute force. Even though he doesn't get a ton of carries, you would have to figure that in this game as well. He's going to get a nice run. I'm, I'm sorry, West Virginia and Virginia Tech. So, and that's the Thursday night game. But CJ Donaldson doesn't get a ton of carries, but they're going on the road at Virginia Tech. And you figured you're probably going to get him in the lineup tonight. Hopefully, this show gets uploaded before that game. But I don't think many, uh, most of you guys that have him probably have him at tight end or, and they're going to be starting him because that's a no brainer for me if you're, if you're starting a running back in the tight end spot in your league allows that. But even at running back, He's been productive. He's going to find the end zone, and they're going to give it to him if they get close. And so I think you get him in your lineup. Then let's look at Malik Cunningham for Louisville, quarterback. They're hosting South Florida this week. Two straight games with at least 120 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns, I think, in the last two or on the season so far. So what he's doing on the ground is sort of matching up with what we projected and where he left off last year, even though he started, you know, slow out of the gate. But he's he's making up with his legs, picking up where he left off last year. Right now, where Cunningham is struggling right now, and that Louisville office, offense is in the passing game. He's only got one passing touchdown right now through three games, but Maybe this is where they get the passing games going a little bit. Hopefully he does as much with his legs. But Cunningham, I think, obviously has to be in there. And I think we'll see a little bit more from him this week in that matchup against South Florida. The next matchup I think we need to take a look at is Notre Dame at North Carolina, where the North Carolina offense has been great. Drake May has been, you know, He's been, you know, solid would probably be an understatement. His first two games were just incredible. Uh, So in three games, his numbers are just really good. But I think the big question comes in for a lot of you guys, and this is where, you know, making, you know, this is where the lack of information sometimes for college fantasy football comes into play is that, you know, is Josh Downs, supposedly he's a go, supposedly he's back. How much will he play? How much will he be a factor? But here's the situation. Even at 100% right now, they're playing Notre Dame's defense, who has, you know, let's be honest, Notre Dame's defense has been okay so far. It's the offense that hasn't been really efficient up until this point. So do you start Josh Downs knowing that, one, he, you know, there's a chance he may not be 100% healthy, 
And two, he's playing that Notre Dame defense. That's going to be one you're going to have to assess. And I tell people all the time, you know, you have to take a look at your, your roster. You have to take a look at your opponent's roster. You have to figure out how aggressive you need to be in this lineup. If you feel that you have the better roster minus Josh Downs in it, then maybe you need to play it conservative and go with your next best option, that receiver. If you feel like you're playing the best team in the league and you need a player with a high ceiling to get into that rot into your lineup because you're going to need those points, then, then you have to play it aggressive. Then you get Josh Downs in there. So it's never as easy as should I start him or should I not start him based on his health. The question is, is if we all have concerns about how much Josh Downs is going to play, we know what Josh Downs' upside is. Are you in a matchup where you're willing to risk that and need to be aggressive to play him or not? You know, Do you need to be a little bit more conservative and just make sure that you don't end up with a one, two, three pointer because he gets in the game, doesn't particularly play well, not maybe not fully healthy, and then he's playing a solid defense. You have to make that call for yourself and evaluate the situation that you're in. And I can say the same thing when we look at the Florida State matchup. You know, Florida State host in Boston College, Jordan Travers last, left last game. Tate Rodemaker came in, looked really good after a shaky start. But if Jordan Travis can play, it looks like they're going to play him. But the question is, is how healthy is he? And is he going to move around enough to be able to be a fantasy factor on the ground? That's where I doubt it. I think Florida State can win this game without Jordan Travis having to use his legs, be more of a passer, and utilize the running game and play defense against Boston College. So again, if you're desperate, and you need the upside of Jordan Travers, or you need Jordan Travers in there just because there are not many options in your in your on your roster, then you play him. But then why risk it if you feel like maybe you're going to get a Jordan Travis that's only at maybe 75, 80% and can't utilize his legs, and maybe he's just a passer and gives you 200 yards and two touchdowns in the air. You have to make that decision, but that's how I see it. I don't know if I would just particularly – I don't know if I would start – Jordan Travers this week if he's limited because I just don't think without you know without his mobility that he's going to be a big enough fantasy factor for you I think you could find something better that's probably on your bench or possibly on the waiver wire if you've got to make a last minute move this week so that really are the are the top storylines for me those are the top storylines for me in the ACC from a fantasy standpoint going into this week let's jump into the big 12 this week and you know, it, it comes down, you know, Baylor against Iowa State. You know, it looks like Tay McWilliams won't play this week for Baylor. It looks very questionable. You know, I don't know whether or not Baldwin is going to be back. Monterey Baldwin, the receiver as well. And here we get to another situation where Iowa State playing another solid defense. Jarrell Brock ran for 100 yards, carried the ball 27 times against that Iowa defense. If he can do it against Iowa's defense, there's no reason why he can't put up 100 yards in a matchup against Baylor. But, you know, the way the utilization has gone in that Iowa State backfield, I can see where a lot of fantasy owners are a little nervous to start Jarrell Brock against Baylor, not knowing, hey, is this going to be the 20-carry Jarrell Brock? Or is this going to be the Jarrell Brock that only gets... 10 to 12 carries this week. <coughs> Excuse me. That's a decision that 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 you have to make. And, I, and look, I'm willing to risk it. I think, you know, what we're seeing 
and we'll see how these trends play out because this is what I talked on, talked about at the beginning of the show. Based on what we've seen so far, based on what coaches are trying to do, I think they're trying to give kids playing time. But I think in this matchup, this is where if Jarrell Brock really is the running back one, we have a case to make because we've seen it against Iowa. This is a big, a huge Big 12 matchup. We have to you, trust what we've seen. And I think if you got Jarrell Brock, you've got to get him in there. And I think you have to put your faith in, hey, he carried the ball 27 times against Iowa for 100 yards. If he did it there, he's going to do it this week against Baylor. And I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Jarrell Brock this week for Iowa State. That's what the trends have shown me so far over the first month of the season. We'll see how that plays out. If it's a bad call, it's a bad call. But I think that's what that's the chance that I'm willing to take if I've got Brock on my roster. Now, I don't know if I could say the same for Texas receiver Xavier Worthy, right? He hasn't had a touchdown reception yet this year. You have to think a matchup against Texas Tech could be a get-right game. Hudson Card, I would assume, is probably going to play quarterback, even though they're saying Quinn Ewers is traveling and likely to be dressed. My guess is, is that they're probably only going to use him in an emergency role if they have to. I would think they probably roll with Card unless Ewers is just 100% or 90%, 95% healthy. And after what Bijan Robinson did last week, you know, you would think Texas Tech is going to try to do some things to 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 make Texas spread the ball around so much and not let Bijan Robinson be the thing that beats him, make Hudson Card put the ball in the air. I think if I've got Xavier Worthy, I'm sticking with him and I've got to start him this week. You invested in an early draft pick in him. This is a game Texas has to win. You know, there should be multi, a lot of possessions in this game between the way Texas Tech moves the ball and Texas's style of offense as well. And I think Xavier Worthy has to be in there. Now, let's look on the other sideline, right? Because a lot of questions coming in from Miles Price. You know, I was surprised there are some guys that have already moved off of Miles Price. He's caught two touchdowns. Uh, he's caught a touchdown in two of the first three games of this year. Sure, his yardage total isn't what maybe we were expecting in a Zach Kitley offense, considering what we saw last year, you know, out of out of out of Stearns and Corley and that that Western Kentucky offense. But, you know, keep in mind he's caught a touchdown pass in two of the first three. Now I've been saying this since the preseason, and this is why I was a fan of Baron Morton going into the season, because I thought Texas Tech would struggle in the beginning part of the season based on their schedule. You know, you've got, you you had Houston, you've got NC State. I think they still have Oklahoma State coming up, maybe Kansas State as well, maybe even Baylor. So I think all of those games are front-loaded. So I, I was looking at where Tyler Shug would struggle. Baron Morton comes in. I wasn't predicting the scenario that played out. And so now I can see where maybe possibly Donovan Smith is the one that struggles with Tyler Shug out. And then maybe Shug comes back and walks into the position uh, midway through the season or in October when the schedule starts to lighten up. So here's what I think. When you look at Texas Tech's schedule and you consider the offense in the system, really you're just trying to get you're trying to get solid numbers up into this up until up until you know two-thirds of the way through the season. I think you're really gonna see that Texas Tech offense really bloom in regards to numbers and therefore fantasy production, not until we're two-thirds of the way through the season. I do think you want Texas Tech players 
for that last month of the season, that stretch run. And then another one that I want to match, mention in the Big 12 is, is obviously running back Deuce Vaughn for Kansas State. Last week against Tulane, carried the ball 20 times for 81 yards, but he still caught eight, caught eight passes for 30 yards. He didn't find the end zone against Tulane, but it just shows you that they're going to utilize uh, Deuce Vaughn, right? And so that's a guy that you're not going to sit. I don't care if they lost to Tulane, they're playing Oklahoma, and it's a step up in competition. Kansas State's going to do everything they can to put their ball in the hands of their best playmaker. That's Deuce Vaughn. He got 28 touches last week, totaled 100 and 111 yards of offense, right? You would have to think the odds are if Deuce Vaughn gets another 28 touches, he's going to find the end zone this week, and there's a good chance that he'll probably end up with another uh, another game of over 100 yards from scrimmage. So no concern for me with Deuce Vaughn. Now, TCU-SMU, this is a matchup that I'm really curious to see because I want to see Max Duggan there. getting He's getting the start at quarterback. But for me, that really isn't the concern. The concern for me in this matchup is receiver Quentin Johnston, who last year there was, you know, it was too, it was too up and down. It was, you know, the results were too fluid for me. That was the one hesitation, which is why I didn't like him last year. I thought things would change this year going into the new season. Now, again, is this a product of some of the competition that they faced? They played Colorado and Tarleton State the first two games. Was TCU using those two matchups to kind of see how things were going to play out and to get players into the game? Maybe we see the Horn Frogs offense become a little bit more settled. Maybe we see that wide receiver rotation become a lot more solidified in this matchup. Quentin Johnson only has five catches for 44 yards through two games. This is the game right here where all eyes are on Quentin Johnston because if he comes out of this matchup with a clunker, no matter how high his ceiling is any given week, and he could go for seven for 200 yards and two touchdowns any given week, I don't know if you can trust a guy starting him the rest of the year. Five catches, 44 yards in the first two. He catches another two to three passes for 30 yards in this matchup and doesn't find the end zone. I think you're going to see Max Exodus, uh, mass Exodus off of Quentin Johnston before Week Five. Now let's skip. Let let's jump conferences and get into the Big Ten because there are a few things there, right? Obviously, Donovan Edwards continues to be banged up for Michigan. We think that that's going to. I don't know if anything's changed in regards to his status this week. For me, that means Blake Corum becomes an exceptional play. He's obviously high in the projections, high in the rankings. I know Mike shared with me that he doesn't feel that Donovan Edwards is going to play. They probably won't need him in this matchup against Maryland. Uh, so I see another big matchup, another big game for Blake Corum. And I think if you have Donovan Edwards, again, he's still a hold right now. I mean, Michigan has been running through their opponents. They haven't particular, they haven't needed him but they will need him in future matchups and maybe he doesn't play or maybe you hold them out because just don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to get a ton of snaps. And if he does, then you know, you're good from here on out, but we're not expecting Edwards to see much work. If any at all in this matchup against Maryland, Penn state's playing central Michigan. And this is, uh, you know, the, the, the Nick Singleton, has had two long rushes over the last couple of games. He's gone for two touchdowns in back-to-back games. He's gone for 124 and 179 in back-to-back matchups. He's had a long of 54 in one game, long of 70 in another. 
He's only got 10 rushing attempts in both of those games. So his yards per, per attempt is up there, right? You know you're probably not getting a lot of touches with him, though, and that's where the concern is for a lot of fantasy owners. But the one thing that I do like is that he's gone for multiple touchdowns. You know, when I look at his numbers, if, if it would have been more like 95 yards with a touchdown and – 100 yards with a touchdown, and he only had 8 to 10 carries. You know, and I look at those long of 54 yards, and I go, oh, yeah, but, you know, he had seven other carries, and he only had 15 yards. Or he had seven other carries and only had 30 more yards. But if he's going to give you – if he's going to be the guy that Penn State's going to lean on as they get closer to the goal line, then he, I think he's got to get into your lineup maybe as the flex option, even though he's only getting – you know, 10, 12 carries a game. I feel like he's he has to be in your lineup. Minnesota playing Michigan State, and this will be a real test for Minnesota, who has really just run through the first three opponents. Now, you know, where I sat here and talked about how, you know, some coaches really want to get guys into the game to give them some playing time for maybe fear of losing them and not necessarily riding their studs. Look what Minnesota has done. Muhammad Ibrahim coming back from that Achilles injury last last year in the opener against Ohio State. He's gone for 130-plus yards in every game. He has scored at least two touchdowns in every game. You know, And that's three. So three straight games with at least 130 yards and two touchdowns. That's kind of the, 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 the counter-argument to my point that I've been making. But look. If you have Muhammad Ibrahim, you're getting him in that lineup because you know he's going to be fed. Even though they're stepping up in competition this week against Michigan State, there's no way you're sitting that guy and you know that you're going to get 20-plus carries in this matchup as long as he stays healthy. Now, that really sets up a transitions into Northwestern's matchup where Evan Hull is playing Southern Illinois. And again, Evan Hull is up there in the projections and the rankings, and he's had a tremendous start to this season. Now, I mentioned this a couple of weeks with Mike Wright with Vanderbilt, and we're going to talk about Mike Wright when we get to that Vanderbilt matchup because of what happened last week, and, and he burned a lot of you fantasy owners. But I would make the same suggestion with Evan Hall right now that I made with Mike Wright, quarterback of Vanderbilt, a couple of weeks ago. I think you really need to try, particularly after this week, maybe to leverage a, st a strong start by Evan Hall and make some sort of trade. Use him as leverage in a trade that you need to maybe solidify your roster. Now, if you lose Hull and you're afraid to lose Hull because he's been the guy that's been carrying your backfield up to this point, I get the hesitation, right? But I'm also a guy that I think you know believes that college fantasy football, for as much as you want to start your studs, is Evan Hull a stud or is he a product of just the schedule? And so here's my warning to you guys that have Evan Hull in the coming weeks. In the next three weeks, you've got at Penn State, Wisconsin, and then a bye. Okay, so three weeks where I don't particularly think these matchups are favorable. Then they go to Maryland. And then here's the end of the year at Iowa, Ohio State, at Minnesota at Purdue and Illinois. I, I just don't know. You know, Penn State, Wisconsin, they're off. Iowa, Ohio State, 
maybe even at Minnesota. To, I mean, those are – I don't think those are going to be easy matchups for Northwestern. I mean, they just lost – you know, who, who did they lose to? They just lost to Southern Illinois. If they're losing to Southern Illinois, what makes us think that they're going to fare any better? And, you know, that was a Southern Illinois team. That was 0-2. What makes you think they're going to fare any better against any of those matchups coming up? And I really, really um, am concerned to start, or I'd be nervous to start Evan Hall in those matchups. I almost feel like you're going to get better value for him instead of the fantasy production by leveraging him in some trade because of the production he has given you up until this point. So that's my thought on Evan Hall moving forward, running back Northwestern. And then I think, you know, look, we, we cannot go into Big Ten without mentioning Ohio State. And usually it's be like, it, it would be all guns ablaze, everybody, you know, all hands on deck, all Ohio State players, you got to start. But there's concern around the health status of Trevion Henderson. Obviously, last week after Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, you know, three catches last week. Is he fully healthy? So, so here's my start. And then, you've, of course, you got Braylon Allen playing in Ohio State. And my thought is, is that if Wisconsin's going to score, there's a good chance that maybe he finds the end zone. And even though I don't expect him to be, this is one of those games where he's going to run for 150 yards, 200 yards. I still feel that there's a chance where if Wisconsin's going to score, he's going to be the guy that finds the end zone. So I wouldn't be scared to start Braylon Allen. Just know you're not going to get probably one of those superhuman efforts from him or superhuman statistical games from him. But I'm a little more nervous with Trevion Henderson than I am with Jackson Smith and Jigba. I said this last week, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll admit something to you guys here that, that maybe you didn't know. I don't think I mentioned this in my notes and observations, but last week I was paying too much attention to the chatter that was going on in Twitter, uh, maybe even throughout the discord as well. I did not think the projections had Jackson Smith and Jigba for three catches for 33 yards. And, and there's some manual adjustments that can be made. And and we have to, and I have to do that sometimes because you never know if, you know, you know, if a guy's banged up, you know, the projections just don't catch everything. And so we had some limited with the data that we did had the projections did a really good job with Jackson Smith and Jig, but I think it projected him for three catches, 33 yards last week. And he only had three catches, but I went ahead and did a manual override on the projections because I thought based on what we were hearing that Jackson Smith and Jigba would get a little bit more run than what he, what he did. And originally I didn't want to touch it at all because Quite frankly, it just made no sense to play Jackson Smith and Jigba against Toledo. I I felt like they were probably going to run him out there to make sure that he was going to be fully healthy for a matchup when they had Wisconsin on deck. And my thought was, why would they need Jackson Smith and Jigba when they've got Wisconsin next and they're playing Toledo and they weren't going to need him, right? So for you guys that followed the projections last week, I'll take that one on the chin. That was my fault. Uh, I shouldn't have gone in there and really touched anything, but I should have just let it play out what what we had in the system and so uh i apologize for that when that was that was my fault and my i didn't stick with my initial gut and usually that you know and and that's why i usually if you guys notice i'm not overly involved in a lot of the discord discussion i'm not overly involved with any type of twitter discussion you know when it comes to doing projections the one thing that that i that i take pride in is that i i kind of isolate away from everything else and, and the echo chambers that go on within the social media, even within our discord as well, because I really, 
sit down and analyze the data, analyze the trends, and really let the numbers kind of do their things. And then from there, we kind of need to make adjustments based on some of the concrete evidence of, of injury news that we get. Like, for instance, and I'll throw this out and I'll mention it when we get to Marshall this week, right? I mean, Kalen, Le- you know, the depth chart came out. You know, we had, you know, we heard reports Rasheen Ali was practicing last week. And, you know, rule of thumb for me most of the time is whenever a guy misses multiple games, it's hard to really give him a big projection because you almost have to see a guy on the field before you really make a healthy projection or a call to start him. And so Kalen LeBourne was the one that kind of took the hit in the numbers last week. We were careful not to do that again this week. The depth chart did come out and Rasheen Ali wasn't on there. So you're going to see a healthy projection for Kalen LeBourne this week. But I, I say all that to set up because I know we're in the Big Ten. That's why you're not really seeing a big projection for Trevion Henderson, right? And I think, based on what we saw last week, that it was all about making sure Jackson Smith and Jigba with health was healthy, getting him some run in the game. And I think you're gonna I think he's gonna see increased snap count this week. And I think you'll see Jackson Smith and Jigba be a lot bigger factor in this matchup this week at home against Ohio State. So that's my take on the on, on the the Big Ten this week. So the next Power Five conference I want to get into is we're going to talk about the Pac-12 and look, another situation, you know, UCLA playing Colorado. Zach Charbonnet missed the game. He comes back last week where it seems like he was he was rested, rested. He still only had 13 rushing attempts, right? In a game that really uh, UCLA was in a dogfight against South Alabama, Keegan Jones actually had 14 rush attempts compared to Zach Charbonnet's 13. Was it Zach Charbonnet being worked back into the offense coming back from an injury, or is it Zach Charbonnet is not fully healthy? That's the risk that you, you know, those are the type of things that, that you have to balance when making these roster decisions. And, you know, I feel a little bit more comfortable with a player like Zach Charbonnet this week than I do with Trevion Henderson, who actually left the game and didn't finish it. So that's why I think you see the projections lean a little bit more heavily towards a guy like Zach Charbonnet, who played, played through, as opposed to Trevion Henderson, who left and may be playing or maybe is questionable to play. So I did want to point that out with UCLA. Washington State playing Oregon, and I think this is really one to, to highlight because, one, I think we're going to really get an idea of that Washington State offense. I mean, last week the projections nailed Cameron Ward, project that he'd have a big game. But it was a very favorable matchup. Let's see how things play out this week against Oregon. Washington State getting into Pac-12 play. If Washington State's offense really kind of struggles a little bit, remember, you know, this was an Eric Morris offense. There were a lot of expectations, maybe, uh, maybe close to what Zach Kitley's offensive expectations were when he went. Um, over to Western Kentucky, but it doesn't seem like we're going to get that type of offensive explosion. And I think this matchup at Oregon will be four games in. They will have played Wisconsin. They will have played Oregon. I think we'll get a really good idea of what to expect from Cameron Ward and that Washington State offense moving forward. But if I had to make the call right now, it doesn't seem like an offense to me that's going to average over 30 points a game or or well over 30 points a game for the 2022 season. So let's see how that plays out. And then obviously on the Oregon side, you know, so many questions going into the season around that Oregon backfield. There's a lot of mouths to feed, but they're rotating those guys through there. 
And the one thing that's really fascinating is that Bo Nix leads the team in rushing touchdowns. He's got three rushing touchdowns. Oregon running backs have combined for four. No other running back has more than one rushing touchdown on that roster. So that's an interesting develop playing out at Oregon between the backfield and the utilization of Bo Nix as a runner around the goal line. The other matchup I want to mention is Utah and Arizona State, and I really want to focus on this one because obviously Herm Edwards is gone at Arizona State. Up until this point, remember Tavion Thomas running back Utah. He had that, you know, he had a nice game in an opener in the opener against Florida. 23 carries, 115 yards, and a touchdown. Really haven't seen that explosion from him over the past two games. Utah has beaten Utah, Southern Utah and San Diego State rather handily. Tavion Thomas has only gotten 27 carries in those games combined. He's only totaled 107 yards, but he has found the end zone three times. The reason why I'm singling out this matchup is I just think that with that Arizona State program, the way that it's kind of in shambles right now, this might be the call where I think Utah running back Tavion Thomas has one of those really big games. I know it may not be indicated in the projections, but boy, this is one of those where it has the feel of like the 120, 140 yards in two or three score games. That one might be it this week. So you guys don't want to sleep on Tavion Thomas this week. And really, that's going to do it for the where, where I think we're really highlighting Pac-12 matchups because everything else is really just court, uh, sort of playing out exactly consistently so far through three weeks. And then the last Power 5 conference, let's go into the SEC, where first of all, the one matchup I'll talk about is Tulsa and Ole Miss. And the reason I'm going to mention this is just from an Ole Miss standpoint, right? There was so many questions going into the season about the quarterback play. You know, is it going to be Luke Altmaier? Is it going to be the USC transfer Jackson Dart? Really, up until this point, it's been irrelevant because the running backs are dominating the offense right now. When you look at, you know, Evans and Judkins and Bentley, those guys have combined for 10 rushing touchdowns, right? Ole Miss has only thrown five passing TDs. So I think right now what you're looking at in this matchup is I think if you've got Evans, you've got Judkins, those are the two guys I'm looking at that I'm starting this week in this matchup against Tulsa. And really, maybe Michael Trigg, the tight end, who I think has three of those five passing touchdowns, receiving touchdowns, he might be the only other guy in the Ole Miss offense that I'm getting in this week. We'll focus on the Kentucky-Miami of Ohio matchup. And the only reason why I want to go there is that at the beginning of the year, we projected Tavion Robinson as Kentucky's top receiver so far through three games. It looks like it's Dane Key. Dane Key with a receiving touchdown in three straight games this year. He's the guy that I would prefer to have in that Kentucky passing game. But let's see how things play out over the next couple of weeks. Kentucky gets back. They get Chris Rodriguez back. At least that was, that was the announcement. He should be back next week in the SEC opener against Ole Miss. So we'll see if the dynamics of the offense change as Rodriguez works his way back into that roster. But the Wildcats do get Rodriguez back next week, or they should. So we'll see how that affects the passing game moving forward. Arkansas playing Texas A&M. The reason why I want to focus on this matchup is that Texas A&M really just hasn't looked too good so far this year. But with the way that Devin Ashane is going to be utilizing that offense, I don't think you can sleep on him. You've got to get him in your roster because right now he's the best thing they have going for, going for them on offense. 
On the Arkansas side, Raheem Sanders has been an absolute stud. And at this point, even though they're playing at Texas A&M, even though that Texas A&M defense has been solid up until this point, I don't know how you can sit Raheem Sanders up until this point. I think you've got to get him in. Then we look at the Florida-Tennessee matchup. Cedric Tillman, the receiver for Tennessee, questionable. I still think Hendon Hooker's a good play. I think he's got, you know, he can utilize his legs. He's still got some targets in the receiving game. It looks like I think Jabari Small is back. So I think he'll be healthy to play in this game. So if you're wondering about that, I think I'd be more comfortable knowing, I think, thinking he plays right now than Cedric Tillman, who, you know, you guys are going to have to kind of pay attention. I'm recording this, you know, you know, two days before kickoff. So there's a lot of news that could break and we can get, of course, that pregame news on whether or not Tillman will roll. But I do have my concerns with Tillman. Now, the focus for this game, though, and this is why I bring it up, isn't necessarily on the Tennessee side. It's on the Florida side. Because I mentioned when we started off the show at the top about Brennan Armstrong for Virginia. Well, it's interesting that we're almost closing it with another quarterback that really has played worse than Brennan Armstrong. And that's Anthony Richardson, the quarterback for Florida. I mean, Brennan Armstrong threw for 464 yards in the two games following the opener. Anthony Richardson is only thrown for 255. Neither guy has totaled a touchdown. So Brennan Armstrong didn't have a touchdown in the last two games. Anthony Richardson hasn't had a touchdown in the last two games. And then Armstrong has even outrushed Richardson over those two games. Richardson's only had 28 rushing yards in the last two games. So he's only totaled. 283 yards of offense in the last two games. And one of those matchups was against South Florida. And of course he had that terrible game against Kentucky, but Anthony Richardson's numbers have actually been worse than Brennan Armstrong. So if you feel bad about Brennan Armstrong, you can't be feeling any more positive about Anthony Richardson. But the thing is, is that they have a high ceiling, right? So we know that they can go off at any time. You know, look what he did in the opener against Utah. But it's consistency that we look for, particularly from our quarterbacks week in and week out. And that's why I think Anthony Richardson's a tough play because we know what his ceiling is. It's what he did in the opener against that Utah defense. But we also know that his floor is terrible. And so that's where you have to decide, do I need to be aggressive because I'm playing one of the best teams in the league or hey, do I need to really rely on my quarterback too right now and get him in the lineup for me because I need consistency. My running backs are solid. My receivers are solid. I just need something from that quarterback position, and I can, I can win this week. That's the call you've got to make. And then lastly, we're going to go with uh, the Alabama-Vanderbilt matchup, and this was a big one because you know a lot of us took it on the chin last week. Mike Wright, you know, the, you know, the head coach for Vanderbilt, basically came out in the post-game press conference and said, hey, we knew we were starting A.J. We, in, we, we informed A.J. Swan and Mike Wright that we were going with Swan last Wednesday. That news did not leak out. We didn't get anything really up until kickoff, and uh, they felt like they needed to make the switch because they weren't finishing drives. Obviously, that benefits Will Shepard, the receiver. Um but boy, that did that take us by surprise. But, you know, and this is where I'm going to reference that Evan Hall trade or leveraging him in trade. I've been saying now for two weeks that, you know, to leverage Mike Wright in a trade, that strong start in a trade. If, if any of you guys did, then then congrats for making the move before the coaches moved off of him. 
But unfortunately, you may not have gotten anything out of Mike Wright and his strong start because, you know, last week was another game where I thought we would have another strong start from Mike Wright, and then you'd be able to move off of him. He didn't get that chance, and now I'm wondering how many of you guys are now stuck with Mike Wright or possibly about to move off of him because now it could be A.J. Swan's job. And really, uh, let's not put that nail in the coffin yet either because Vanderbilt, you know, they've got a tough schedule. The easy part of Vanderbilt's schedule is now probably behind them. So we still may see some rotation. We still may not have seen the end of Mike Wright, but we may have seen the end of consistency, consistent fantasy production. From a, from a Vanderbilt quarterback in 2022. Now, over on the Alabama side, last week, filled with some questions, how hey, you didn't have an Alabama receiver in your top 20. Well, I didn't feel like that it warranted putting an Alabama receiver in my top 20. And right now, this week, Treshawn Holden is the top-rated Alabama receiver. He's been the guy that's been most targeted. His He's the guy whose numbers have been most consistent. He's the guy that lands in the top 20 of my, he lands in my top 20 wide receiver rankings this week. And he also lands at the top of the projections when you consider Alabama receivers this week. But I still think Alabama's going to spread it around. I still think by the time the season's over with, Jameer Gibbs may end up being maybe the top or one of the top two pass catchers in that offense this year from a just total touches standpoint, from a reception standpoint. But there's still a lot to unpack, and I think what we're going to get from Alabama at receiver this year, and this is where this is my prediction for Alabama. I don't really see it's going to be difficult to see Alabama getting tripped up along the way. I, you know, I think we're on a collision course, obviously for for Bama, Georgia, and uh, this is from a non fantasy standpoint, and so it does affect us for college fantasy football. I think Alabama just wants to find and get it right for the end of the year. So we're going to see a lot of rotation until they figure out what's going on. Obviously, Bryce Young can spread it around. They have more than their receivers. they got Jameer Gibbs in the backfield. They've got Cameron Latou at tight end. There's a lot of places, and Alabama's going to be strong enough that they can spread it around. That's what I'm seeing out of the Alabama offense right now, and that's why we do not have the receivers ranked as highly as they were last year. And there's still time for guys like Tyler Harrell to get involved. I think we're going to see some rotation in that Alabama running back uh, wide receiver core. We'll see how that plays out. But that's my take on the Alabama receiving core, that Alabama matchup. And that's going to take us through the Power 5 matchups. Now let's get into the group of five games that I want to talk about. And we're not nearly going to be as long-winded on this one because the list just isn't quite as long. but Let's start in the Mountain West Conference where Boise, you know, Boise running, um, Boise State running back George Halani, you know, there was a lot of concern for on about him after the first game of the year. And then, you know, the last two games, he's gotten at least 20 carries. Against Tennessee, Martin, he ran 24 times for 110 yards and a touchdown. New Mexico, he ran 20 times for 67 yards. He's caught four passes in each game. He's gotten at least 24 touches in each of the last two games to where guys were ready to move off of him, and there were some doubts, particularly after an inconsistent last year. Remember, he didn't take off until the end of the year. Another good matchup this week against UTEP. So 20-plus carries in back-to-back games. 
at least four catches in back-to-back games. He's a must-start this week against UTEP, in my opinion. Now, let's go into, and like I said, there's not a lot of games to talk about in the in the in the group of five, but I do want to talk about the Louisiana Tech South Alabama matchup. We'll go into the Sun Belt right now, I guess. Because LaDamian Webb at the top of the list of running backs this week, projections and rankings. Let's look what he's done over the first three weeks of the season. In that opener against an FCS school, he ran 18 for 98, two touchdowns. Then at Central Michigan, 20 carries, 91 yards, two touchdowns. And then in last week's near upset at UCLA, 16 carries, 124 yards, and a touchdown. He caught six passes for 42 yards this week. South Alabama plays Louisiana Tech. And to me, you know, this is where now we've got three weeks of data, three weeks of trends. We didn't think LaDamian Webb would be at the top of our week four list. I'd have never guessed that at the beginning of the year. But here we are now that we have a nice sample size, seeing how things play out. And, you know, that's going to bridge nicely into the conversation about Coastal Carolina, where we really just don't know how things are going to play out in that backfield. One, they haven't gotten Braden Bennett yet back, uh, back yet. Reese White had a long run last week that resulted in a fumble, and I don't think he got another carry in the game after that. I think he only had two rush attempts for the game. Does he fit back right into the rotation? Was it more of a let's bench him to teach him a lesson type deal? Like, I don't know what's going on. C.J. Beasley has been the most consistent back in that offense this year. But, man, I don't know how you feel good about having a running back in that Coastal Carolina backfield this week. You know, are you still holding on to Braden Bennett? A lot of you guys have an IR spot out there. What do you do with Reese White? He had that big game early on in the year. And then C.J. Beasley, you know, he's been consistent, but will we see Reese White? Like, There's too many questions for me. I think I'm going to stay away from that Coastal Carolina backfield right now, but it's still a hold on their players. I can't let go of them right now because I feel like the backbone of that offense is the running game. We just haven't seen things get settled yet. And for me, the Coastal Carolina backfield is a hold. And, you know, we're really waiting for to see what happens when Braden Bennett gets back. And then, you know, things are going to be could be in flux again. So we'll see how long that's going to take to play out in Coastal Carolina. James Madison this week. And I think for me, the big question mark with James Madison playing Appalachian State. First of all, there's two. Let's look over on the Appalachian State side. First of all, Nate Noel, a lot of questions about whether or not he's going to play. Here's my two-game rule. He's missed two games already with an injury. For me, it's hard to start a guy that's missed two consecutive games until we actually see him on the field again. Does that mean we possibly miss out on a big game? Yes. But it also means we possibly miss out on a goose egg game. If you start him, you don't have an auto subsystem and he doesn't play or he's limited. I'd rather take the chance of sitting a guy that has a big game than starting a guy that lays a goose egg and know that I've got a starter for future weeks. That's a message I keep repeating on every week's show. And then over on the James Madison side, you got wide receiver Reggie Brown, who had a couple of touchdown receptions in that opener for James Madison. Remember, Todd Centeno threw five touchdown passes, I think it was, in that opener. A lot of guys wondering if they should move off of Reggie Brown, but keep this in mind. If Reggie Brown was banged up, you know, what are the coaches looking at? We've got a matchup with Norfolk State, and we have a bye. Why would we risk playing a player that could be banged up 
when they didn't need them in the second matchup and they were off last week. This isn't necessarily my two-game rule because now we're looking at two weeks, two weeks where we haven't seen Reggie Brown. But in my experience of just knowing how things play out, my guess is, is that if the injury was serious enough, we probably would have heard more about it. But if he's just a little banged up and they're playing Norfolk State and then they have a bye the following week, my thought is, is that Reggie Brown was held out more so out of precaution. I'd be willing to roll the dice more so on Reggie Brown this week than I would be on Nate Noel, who we haven't seen for two consecutive weeks because of injury. Let's see how that plays out. But situation definitely worth monitoring for both players. Another Sunbelt matchup, Texas State. Why do we talk about Texas State? Well, you've got wide receiver Ashton Hawkins, who has caught at least 10 passes in two of three games Again, much like LaDamian Webb, I would have never thought that this would be one of the top players in this week's projections and rankings, but here we are. He caught 13 passes for 114 yards in that matchup and a touchdown against Baylor. He caught a touchdown the week before against FIU, and he caught uh, two touchdowns in the opener. Um, So how do you not start a guy – that has those type of numbers. And I, I think I got that that information right. I really wanted to get his target share before I came on here, but I, I, I don't have that for you guys. But I want to make sure that I got that, that, that I have that information accurate for you real quick. So let me just reference Ashton Hawkins with that. So yeah, 13 catches last week against Baylor, 10 for 96 and two touchdowns in the opener against Nevada. It's got to be one of the better plays this week, one of the top targets in the nation right now going into week four in that Texas State offense, and I don't see how Texas State doesn't score some points against Houston Baptist. So let's see how that plays out this week. You know, here's 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 the thing that's going to be really fun to watch is that sometimes, you know, it's nice that we have three weeks of sample size, but what's also, you know, what, what's also you know, fascinating to see is that sometimes when we get this small sample size, just when we think guys are trending in the right direction, is this a game where Texas State all of a sudden lies on Calvin Hill in the running game and then Ashton Hawkins, you know, they're able to move the ball a little bit more. They're able to spread it around. They get more guys involved in the passing game and then Ashton Hawkins finishes with like three catches. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case given his target share up until this point. So I think as long as Houston Baptist, remember Texas State isn't that good. So as long as Texas Baptist stays in this game, I think we're going to see a lot of what Texas State has done so far this year play out this week in week four. And that's why I really like Ashton Hawkins, wide receiver for Texas State this week. And then, you know, it's we have so many questions going into week four in the Sun Belt, and the other one is around the Marshall matchup at Troy. Practice reports, and I talked on talked about this at the beginning of the show, where Rasheen Ali looked like he was practicing again now. No sign of Rasheen Ali on the two deep at the beginning of the week, and so you will not see Kalen LeBourne's numbers take a hit in the projections. We have him up there high this week. You would have to assume He's been the man for them so far through the first three games of the year. They're going to continue to ride him. And now we're stuck in a situation where I don't think we can get Rashan, uh, Rasheen Ali and start him in a game until we actually see how much Rasheen Ali is going to play in a matchup. 
and then we're going to end things over in uh, with the independents. So there's two that I'll talk about: BYU versus Wyoming, and the reason why I bring up BYU running back Christopher uh, Chris Roberts, Chris Brown. Sorry, there's a lot of concern on whether or not you know you should start Chris Chris Brown over uh, Christopher Brown running back for BYU. And the one thing, and 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 I think I mentioned this in the preseason, the one thing that I don't like about BYU, quite honestly, is the schedule. So I think you're going to get some inconsistencies. This is going to be a player that you are going to start based on the matchup, and I think that's going to vary throughout the year. So there could be a stretch where Brown ends up on your uh, – I'm sorry, where Brooks ends up on your bench, and there's going to be a stretch where he ends up in your starting lineup, right? And let's let's use the next two weeks, for example. You've got Wyoming this week and Utah State, a struggling Utah State, Utah State school. Uh, team that struggled so far this year, you're going to look at Brooks and probably say those are two games that I'm going to look to get him in. But the following two weeks, BYU plays Notre Dame and Arkansas, right? So I don't think you're going to get him in your lineup for that stretch. So that, and you know, you're looking at where they just came off of that loss to Oregon. And it was, you know, a pretty convincing loss. There was nothing in there to make us think that Brooks, you know, 10 carries, 28 yards. He did score a touchdown. You know, when I look at their schedule, I see Wyoming, Utah State. Yeah, he looks like he's going to be a start. Notre Dame, Arkansas, not so much. Then they get Liberty, East Carolina. Yeah, looks like a start. Go on the road to Boise State. Eh, maybe not. So I think you're going to be playing that game with Brooks throughout the rest, at least over the next six weeks or so before that end game stretch. And then, look, let's be honest. If you held on to them that long, you get Utah Tech and Stanford at the end of the year. Probably decent matchups. You'll be okay to get him in. And then the last matchup I want to talk about is the Liberty matchup with quarterback Caden Salta. Akron traveling to Liberty. And the reason why I bring this matchup, uh, the reason why I bring it up is because we got word that Caden Salter was going to be out this week. And I was really looking forward to getting these projections up because when I, when, when I do the projections, what's interesting is that I don't really look to see how guys rank out as the projections are sort of being figured out as, as the algorithms are running, as, as I'm making my adjustments. I don't see where guys rank out until all the numbers are in for all the teams. And when the numbers came out, Salter, if I remember correctly, came out with the second highest fantasy points projection for week four. And then we got the news that he wasn't playing. And now Jonathan Bennett, I'm assuming, will probably be the starter. We'll we'll keep our ears and eyes on that one to make sure. But Jonathan Bennett just doesn't bring to the table what Caden Salter does, at least from a dynamic dual threat uh, perspective, but Salter was going to be one of the top two or three players projected, or he was for week four. We won't see him get to play that out, but I was really looking forward to seeing Salter, Salter's performance versus the projections play out in that matchup against Akron. We won't get it, but I do think a player like Dede Hunter is going to be worth a start. He had 18 carries, 93 yards and a touchdown, five catches for 21 yards, 
in that uh, loss to Wake Forest last week. And so you could see a heavy dose of him, of, of Hunter. So if you have Hunter, get I think he, he's a great play this week in week four. So, you know, I look, I changed up the format and thought that it would actually kind of shave some time off because we didn't go game by game, but it gave me a little bit of time to add a little bit more context, color, and perspective around some of the key matchups and key players I think some of you guys have interested in, that, that have a lot of interest in going into the weekend you know that's going to do it for this week's show i'm going to try to get this uploaded as soon as possible it's already thursday evening i'm gonna try to get this out so you guys have a chance to listen to it absorb it uh you know i i know it wasn't in it won't be uploaded before the thursday night games but you guys will have it you know for thursday evening your commute to work on friday be able to listen to it all day friday but that's it another week in the books week four is here uh, let's be honest, we're almost halfway through. We're almost at the halfway point of the regular season for you guys that have playoff formats. Uh, so that's going to do it. I know I sort of talked about a lot of philosophies on injuries, you know, getting a nice sample size, the way things are playing out now. We're getting some more trends. So let's see how week four plays out. Let's see how that affects week five and moving forward. But that's going to do it for this week's show. Week four show in the books. My name is Joe DeSalvo, the voice of the CFF site, and I'm going to see all you guys, talk to all you guys next week.